It says Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 9 in the bulletin. We're going to actually read 4 through 11. Two bonus verses today. Uh, And this is going to be found on page 1142 in your pew Bibles. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your word that you have given to us. We pray that you would help us, even this morning, to listen to hear your word, to have ears uh, that are quick to listen, minds that truly seek to understand, hearts that are ready to be changed, God, that we would go from here, having been changed by your word and your spirit, even more into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 50, starting in verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let me confront him. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant. Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. But now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. And then turning to our New Testament lesson, We are uh, beginning a New Testament reading in the book of Philippians. We'll kind of follow this one through. And this morning we get the first 11 verses in this book of Philippians. And this particular book is one written while Paul is actually in prison. And he's writing back to the church in Philippi, a church that he, uh, he knew well. He'd been there at the very beginning of uh, this church getting started, and he had known the people there, and he loved them. And you can hear that coming uh, in the way that he writes this letter. And uh, well, there's a lot more to it than that. It may go over more of it in the weeks to come. But for now, it's Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains 
or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, um, we're actually looking at a passage that involves a bit of, uh, of wordplay, and I was trying to think of examples of wordplay uh, that I could give. I'm sure some maybe come to your mind already, but just in case you're not aware, something that would bring that home. And uh, unfortunately, based on when I was raised, the one that really stuck with me is, the, um, is one from Back to the Future. So if you have seen that movie, you may remember this particular part. If not, just bear with me. Um, so in the movie Back to the Future, Back to the Future uh, there's this part where the main character has gone from 1985 back into 1955, and uh, in his interactions with one of the guys from 1955, he keeps saying, uh, and with the scientist from there, he keeps saying, though, that the situation is really heavy. Man, that's heavy. That's heavy. <laughs> and at one point, the scientist is finally like, you keep using this word heavy. Is something happened in the future to the Earth's gravitation? <laughs> and it's just this different way. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but that word heavy to someone in 1985 had a different meaning than in 1955. And because of that difference, the people who wrote the movie were able to play on that. And the audience is like, that's a good one. <laughs> For those of you who've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who have not seen the movie, now you know another part of my story. Anyway, the point here, though, is not about uh, how we use the word heavy or about wordplay in general. It's actually about three particular instances of wordplay that Jesus uses when talking to people uh, at the temple in John chapter 8, the section we're going to be looking at. He uses three, three in a tight little section. And uh, every time he's saying this, it, there's little things going on that make it uh, where, you know, just as we might watch a movie or hear a song or read a poem or something, and that little turn of a phrase, or you hear this word that works both ways. I thought about a lot of dad jokes I could use as well. That's placed heavily on puns. Anyway, uh, but it's that little turn of a phrase or the wordplay that makes it kind of pop. Jesus is a master of this stuff, and what he's doing is actually using these words and these ideas and these phrases that had meaning on multiple levels at the same time. And then he ties all of these together in a way where you say, yeah, he is like no other. And I don't mean he's like no other in a sense of his use of the language is great, like oh, he's in a category like Shakespeare. I don't mean that. I mean, he is like no other with the claims he's making through this use of wordplay. So let me just get into it. We'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Uh, this is John chapter 8, verses 21 through 30. And, uh, and this is when Jesus is still at the temple. 
He has been there for the Feast of Tabernacles, and as we said last week, that feast may or may not still be going on when he's having this conversation uh, with everybody, but that is still where he is, in Jerusalem, at the temple. And uh, and he has already been talking about kind of who he is since he's been there. Uh, the light of the world, that he's the living water. Um, verse 21, once more Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. It's a good time for that reminder of why John tells us he's writing this book at all. John tells us at the very end of the book why he wrote the things that he did. And this comes in um, John chapter 20, uh, verse 30. He says in 31, says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's a pretty big claim. But that's why he's written the things that he's written. And so there's a lot more that he said he could have written down, but he didn't write those things. He wrote these things, and he said, you know, I could go on and on and on. The point is not to go on and on. The point is that you would have life in his name, and that you have life in his name by believing in him, and and so on. So that's I have written, I've chosen carefully the stories that will hopefully help you to see the clearest who Jesus really is. And this is one of them that he includes for that purpose. He said, when Jesus was in the temple, he said these things in interaction with people who just didn't get it. And so uh, where this starts, and we'll get into the wordplay in just a second, where this starts is this misunderstanding. Jesus says, I'm going to go away. You're going to look for me. You can't, you can't come where I'm going. And they misunderstand what he's talking about, don't they? And they immediately start, is he going to kill himself? Is that what's going on there? And of course, they're not right. On the other hand, they're not that far off. He is talking about dying, isn't he? So they've at least got that part right. And yet, they've missed it. And that's a common theme you'll see throughout the Gospel of John as well, is Jesus will say something or do something, and people just like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> like, they just don't get it. And then uh, there's this continuing, and yet we always have then people who are believing. So at the beginning of this 
You've got people who have no idea what Jesus is talking about, and by the end, they're believing him. If at this point in the sermon you have no idea what I'm talking about, stick with it, maybe by the end. (laughs) Anyway. So uh, Jesus continues, and I'm going to just skip us on down. He talks about this uh, dying in your sins and all that. We're going to hang on to that for a second. Let's get down to the wordplay itself. And this comes, uh, he uses it multiple times, but it all comes together in one verse. And this is verse, uh, verse 28, right after verse 27, where they didn't understand again. And so verse 28, it all comes together. And he says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. Did you catch it? Did you see the three? Instances of wordplay right there in that verse. It's fantastic, isn't it? Maybe I should point some of them out. The, uh, the first one is, well, the first one we'll talk about is this idea of uh, the son of man. What does, it, what does the son of man mean? Why is it that Jesus continues to call himself the son of man? This is one that has bothered a lot of people because they'll be reading through the Bible and they're like, you know, I had always heard that Jesus was the son of God. You know, that's what people tell you is Jesus is the son of God. And then I read through and Jesus keeps on referring himself as the son of man. And that sounds like it's, you know, less than. (laughs) Is he just saying that he's a normal human? And this is the brilliance of that phrase. This is why Jesus uses this phrase. is because it is a play on words. On the one hand, it means normal human. And so you could call any human a son of man. Now, gender differences today, we may say it a little differently. But son of man would be the way to say generic human person kind of thing. That he really and truly belongs to the human race. Okay. So there's that. But is that all that it means? Not the way Jesus uses it. The way that Jesus uses this phrase continually is a calling back to Daniel chapter 7. So we go to Daniel 7. In Daniel chapter 7, I'm not going to read you the whole chapter, but I would encourage you to read it at some point. Daniel has this vision, and it is of kingdoms that are going to come And every one of these kingdoms is depicted as a beast. Now, if you go all the way back to the beginning of creation, you see God has put everything in order and has people ruling over the beasts. And yet, then when people have turned away, it seems like everything has turned upside down to the point that now we have these uh, nations that are depicted as beasts that are ruling over the people. And everything is backwards, and it's not the way that it's supposed to be. And so these, uh, these kingdoms are just devouring the people. And everything is broken. That's what he sees. And so it's kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. And every one that you see, it's like, okay, but then they get defeated, and here comes another one. But it's another beast. And then here comes another one. It's another beast. Here comes another one. It's another beast. And then, and then, here's where it gets good. Um, verse 13. said, In my vision I looked, and there before me was not another beast. There before me was one like a son of man. So here we have it. A a human person. 
There's one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Okay, that's different. And he approached the ancient of days, God himself, and was led into his presence. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Well, that doesn't sound like a very low title anymore, does it? (laughs) When Jesus is referring to himself as the son of man, it's not that he's a son of man in that sense. He is the son of man. He is, and the way that, you know, you have Adam and we all kind of come from that and all the problems associated. He is the new Adam. He is the one who actually does what people were always supposed to do. He is the representative that we need uh, for all of us. And he's the one who should be the king over everyone, not like all the people who have turned everything upside down so the kingdoms become like beasts. He is the one who has the kingdom of God that he's bringing. And that is why his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is one that will never be destroyed. It's a pretty good play on words, right? That at the same time, Jesus is using a phrase that links him together with all the rest of humanity and sets him above everybody else. In one phrase, son of man, there it is. So now you've got that, just load that in every time when you're reading along and Jesus says, son of man, understand that's what he's using. He's using this title that links him with all of us and puts him as the head over everybody. As he is the son of man. Okay, so he says that. Here's another one. This is another uh, title thing. And he actually says it twice in here. Um, He says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. Then you will know that I am he. Who? Well, on the one hand, it's the son of man. (laughs) On the other hand, and this is where it gets gets crazy. um, There are... Seven times, we've talked about this before in the Gospel of John, seven times that John records Jesus saying, I am dot, 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 right? I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the true vine. I, seven times, I am dot, dot, dot. But he also records seven times where Jesus says, I am, period. This is one of those times. We miss it in the English because I try to uh, translate it in a way that you know flows a little nicer for us, but what he's actually saying here is I am, period. That seems like a weird sentence that way. Then you will know that I am. Well, we already know that you are. But this, again, is another play on words. This is one where he is calling back to things that happened in the Old Testament. Um, It's actually uh, the second time he said it in this particular passage. We'll get to the other one in a second. But what does he mean when he says, I am? What is that calling back to in the Old Testament? You may think of any time that somebody else says, I am. <laughs> this is God to Moses, burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. Who shall I say is sending? Tell them, I am has sent you. That's what God says to Moses. That's how he reveals himself. And there's actually uh, additional references. He's talking about that, but there's also a tie-in with passages in Isaiah as this servant of the Lord. And so he's, in one phrase again, 
saying he is, uh, he is God, and yet he is the servant of God. Simultaneously. Brilliant. This is the claim he's making. So he is the son of man. He is also God himself. That's two. Here's another one. The way that he starts this particular sentence is, Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man. You probably have a footnote on this one. Helps you out on the wordplay. Usually what helps on the wordplay is just knowing the whole Bible over and over again. And then you can start to to catch these things. Uh, But sometimes there are little footnotes that help. Here's one. The translation uh, that we have here in the NIV says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, but they have a footnote um, that the Greek for lifted up also means exalted. What's Jesus doing here? Why do we have this word of uh, lifted up and exalted? This is also one of those themes throughout the book of John, by the way, as Jesus continues to talk about being lifted up. And what what is the play that he's making? The idea of being exalted onto a throne. That's the idea. That he is the son of man who is uh, going to be the ruler over all. That he is the king over all the other kingdoms. That he is the king of kings. But that his way of being enthroned as a king is not the usual way. And so if you think back to Jesus' temptations in the wilderness, one of the temptations that Satan comes to him and says, look, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You can just bow to me. You don't have to go to the cross. That's That's what's implied there. But Jesus knows that's not the way. The way that he is going to become the king over all the kingdoms. The way that he does so, and everybody else, by the way, everybody else who has become a king over the kingdoms at some point has bowed to Satan. That's really what it comes down to. That's why all the kingdoms are beasts, is because they are all ruled by people who at some point have turned away from God and said, no, I know better. And in little ways or big ways, and we can kind of rank ourselves and compare it to each other, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. We have all turned away at some point and said, all right, I'll go this way, not the way of God. Jesus is the one who didn't. And in that temptation scene, that's what we see, is that when offered this way that everybody else has gone, he says, no. And he goes the way of the cross. He goes the way of being exalted by being lifted up on a cross. That's the play here. That is, he is lifted up on the cross. Uh, and you recall what happens just before he's lifted up on the cross? What do the soldiers do to him? They put him in a purple robe. And they gave him a crown. That's, he's a king, right? That's what kings get, is purple robes and crowns. But his robe was accompanied beatings and spit and his crown was a crown of thorns and then instead of being exalted onto his throne he is nailed to a cross and lifted up that's the king he is 
a king who doesn't rule over his people, but a king who gives himself sacrificially for his people. Who is like the Lord? (laughs) There's no one like him. There's no one like him. No one has ever been like him. He is the son of man. He is the Lord of all. He is the king of kings. And that is why his death was not the end either. But that when he uh, actually gave up his life for us all, it didn't end there. But it actually was the beginning. As he has then raised to life and a life forever, where he is the king even over today and on to forever. The question is, is the king over everything? Is he the king over us? And this is actually the whole point of this conversation, not just between uh, you and me, but between Jesus and these people here. The reason he's been making these claims, the reason he's been using these turns of phrase, hopefully get their attention, which it kind of does. You've got people at the beginning who don't understand what he's talking about. By the end, they're believing in him. But in the middle, you've got uh, this other time, I told you to talk about this, where he says that he... Uh, where he says, I am. Here's the other place that says it. It's verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe, and I'm, that's what he really says, if you do not believe that I am, you will indeed die in your sins. Not just that he is another person, but that he is the person that we need, that he is the king that we need, that he is God himself who has taken on flesh and who has given himself on our behalf. When it talks about if you do not believe, um, you're going to die in your sins. What it really comes down to is this. There's the turning away that is the sin. And the wages of sin, we're told, is death. And what Jesus is saying is, I have come to give myself for you that you can have life. I hope that sounds familiar to you. I hope you've heard this message before. But what it, what it comes down to here is he's saying, this is why I've come. This is what I've come to do is that you can have life. But on the other hand, you can also reject it. So either Jesus can die for your sins or you can die for your sins. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve death. We either die for it ourselves or he dies for it for us. And that's what he's saying here when he's saying, if, uh, if you do not believe that I am, you will indeed die for your sins. Does he say this in judgment on them? No. He says this as a plea. Believe in me that you don't, in order that you don't die for your sins. That's why I came. Can you imagine? Can you imagine 
taking everything you have out of your bank account, selling all that you own, liquidating all of your assets so you can get one big pile of cash so that you can pay somebody's debt and you pay it on their behalf. And they say, no thanks, I got this. I'll try to do it on my own. When there's no way that they could ever come up with what they need. Jesus is saying, I am giving everything to cover for you. You do not need to turn away from this offer. He is the son of man. He is the Lord of lords, the king of kings. And he was lifted up for you, for me. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate again. We have out on the, the sign out front, it's November, got a uh, reference to Thanksgiving, right? We have two chapters referenced that use the same phrase, and when he had given thanks, dot, dot, dot. The first one is when Jesus is feeding the 5,000 and he takes the bread and when he had given thanks, he gave it to the disciples who then gave it to the people. And everyone was fed. And then, several chapters later, it says the same phrase two more times. And when he had given thanks, he took the bread. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Right? A little bit later. And when he had given thanks, he took the cup. This is my blood, shed for you. Jesus was not killed simply as a victim of the injustice of the day. Jesus died because he came to give his life. He gives thanks for the body that he has to give for us. He gives thanks for the blood that he had to shed for us. And this is why he pleads with the people. If you believe, you will live. That's what he's been saying from the beginning. But if not, then we don't. As we uh, prepare to celebrate the supper again, I'd ask us to, uh, to take this message seriously consider where we are, where we've been, what he has done, and what he is doing, and even leading us to this point as we consider what he has for us in the future. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.